Soccer ESQ podcast. My name is Mickey Turner. You can find me on Twitter at TurnerESQ. I write for Sound Direct Heart as well as The Athletic, and I run my own website called SoccerESQ.com. Lower division soccer in the United States continues to go through growing pains, especially at the third division level. Teams continue to come and go, and it's even tougher to get an entire league up and running. Nowhere is that more evident than with NISA, an upstart league trying to establish itself in the third division. They were provisionally sanctioned by the U.S. Soccer Federation in February 2019, but they're still working to fill out their full roster of teams. They may be getting closer to doing that, as news that the New York Cosmos of NASL fame are close to joining the league for a fall 2020 start. To discuss NISA and the Cosmos, I called up Chris Kivelhan of the Midfield Press to talk about all of these issues. Chris is one of the best resources to chat about all the goings-on in lower division soccer, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, joining me now from the midfieldpress.com, Chris Kibblehan, who is out in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's one of the best uh, resources on lower league soccer in the United States. And so I wanted to get him on to chat about all things lower league soccer, uh, more specifically NISA and the Cosmos, as we had some news come out last week that it looks like the Cosmo are going to be joining NISA subject to some sanctioning issues, which we'll get into. But uh, Chris, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's uh, first, uh, for uh, listeners who may not know who you are, you, uh, as I said, write for the midfieldpress.com, which is primarily focused on lower league soccer, although you guys cover a bit of everything over there. Uh, just uh, briefly, give me a little bit of a history of the site and uh, how long you've been at it and uh, kind of the focus. Sure. So, um, you know, the site's been around for several years. I started getting involved with it um, in... I want to say the beginning of 2016 is when I started getting involved with it. Um, that, you know, I had just gone through kind of a, a, a change in my work life um, where I had uh, the company I'd worked for for a very long time uh, was sold. Uh, and then we were under new ownership and my role with that new company was a lot less sort of significant on a day-to-day basis than it had been in the previous company. So, you know, I had a lot of sort of free... Uh, free mental cycles uh, running around, and I decided to use those to uh, to write about lower league soccer, um, you know, for, for quite a while. So, uh, so yeah, so I got started, you know, on the site in 2016, and then I, I kind of took it over about a year ago, um, and uh, have kind of been running, running the site since then. Yeah, and so, like, as I said, it's, it's mostly focused on uh, lower league soccer, and I want to, uh, I was curious, what led you to kind of... Uh, at least the site to kind of focus on that. It's just uh, was that just kind of an interest area of yours? Um, it's obviously uh, lower league soccer is underserved in the media uh, in the United States, which is just kind of a function of where soccer is generally in the United States. Sure. Well, prior to my joining the site, it was already focused on that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think the the it was really uh, as, as as far as I remember, it was kind of started as a, a site uh, around the NASL. Right, mostly covering the NASL, um, and then uh, you know, then obviously uh, <laughs> things took a turn yes. uh, there. Um, and we've we, uh, we've had some NPSL coverage. We've had uh, a lot of NISA coverage. You know, in in the uh, the build up to NISA, sort of been on that since the beginning. A little bit of USL coverage here and there, um, and uh, and sort of just generally covering that little UPSL once in a while. Um, so, but yeah, mostly, uh, 
mostly NASL historically, and then NISA sort of now is, I guess, kind of the successor in a way. Yeah, and that's obviously a perfect segue into uh, kind of the news that has come out over the last uh, week or so. Not not specifically NISA, but uh, the Cosmos uh, submitted an application to join NISA. It looks like that's been approved and there's still some sanctioning issues. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to chat a little bit about NASL. Obviously, you've uh, covered that very closely. I have as well, at least since uh, it was announced that they were going to go out uh, of business effectively after they were sanctioned. And I was curious to get uh, just kind of your general thoughts on, you know, kind of the rise and fall of, of, of the NASL. Uh, you know, as uh, some may know, they were pretty close to a breakthrough in the 2013 to 2015 timeframe. And then uh, a couple of teams were poached by uh, MLS, then they weren't sanctioned. So I was just kind of curious about your thoughts about how they kind of uh, rose and fell uh, part of it due to machinations outside of the uh, league that were mostly outside of the control, but some mismanagement issues uh, as well, to be fair. Oh, yeah. I think it was a combination of factors, right? Just like with anything, um, there were some things that were in their control that they could have done better, uh, but there were also a lot of things that were out of their control um, that uh, that affected it. You know, the NASO kind of from 2013 to 2016 was a fantastic league, right? Um, and probably even before 2013, but I, to be fair, I didn't really tune in until the Cosmos uh, came back. Um, just a little, little background for why the Cosmos for me. Um, you know, I grew up in, uh, in the New York area, um, and, uh, you know, I, I got into watching soccer I'm one of these guys who got in at a world cup so for me um it was the uh the 2006 world cup that got me in um but you know as a as i tried to find a team to root for uh you know they're you know the only team in new york in mls was named after an energy drink i guess <laughs> yes. i just i got i got involved too late right but yeah. i still tried to give it a shot and, and you know uh, when Henri came around, you know, I was paying attention. I, try, I was trying, but I couldn't really ever feel it, you know, with my heart, right? Um, at the same time, I remembered, you know, I'm, I'm just old enough. We're the same age, right? Yeah. So I'm just old enough that, uh, you know, I remember from when I was a little kid uh, seeing the Cosmos, right? And, and, and the Cosmos being around. It was the tail end of the heyday of the Cosmos, right? Sure. So I was like, man, you know, the Cosmos are like a real New York team, right? Like, I wish someone would bring the Cosmos back, right? And then they did. And so I was like, all right, I'm all in. This is my team, right? I've been waiting for a team that I could really get behind in, in the United States, and there you go. So so at that point, I was in on the Cosmos. Uh, so when they came back in uh, 2013, that's when I really started watching the NASL. And, uh, and, um, you know, it was great. It was a great time through about 2016 and not that 2017 wasn't a fun year, but clearly, you know, the decline, uh, was, was happening. You know, they had lost a bunch of teams, the only track. Um, so, you know, that was, that was that. Yeah. And, and I don't want to talk too much about the lawsuit. Uh, you know, it's, it's ongoing. There's still lots of stuff going on there. Um, there are some interesting kind of offshoots of that, uh, specifically related to the Cosmos, which I want to talk about in a second. But I first want to get a little bit into, you know, kind of NISA, where they were, as you said, kind of formed out of the ashes of the NASL. Um, and it's been a bit of a choppy start to their existence, I think it's fair to say. 
what uh, you, your general thoughts on how they've kind of gone about uh, trying to start this league? Uh, you know, there were some discussions with maybe combining with uh, USL, but they basically have different philosophies on the operation of soccer in this country. Uh, and so that was never going to go anywhere. And so just what, what have you seen from them, uh, you know, trying to get this thing off the ground? Um, and they're still trying to at this point. Yeah, so, the, so NISA was conceived as a bridge between the NASL and the NPSL originally. That was Peter Will, uh, who was one of the yeah. founders of the league, um, had, had envisioned that uh, NISA would be like a Ultimately, it would be an overarching association in which there were multiple tiers of leagues, but um, in the immediate time frame, it would kind of slot in that space between the NPSL and NASL because there's a big gulf, right? Yeah. Between, you know, even successful um, amateur, adult amateur soccer te- teams and the, and the, what, what it costs to run the team at a professional level. So that was the original vision. For NISA, unfortunately, shortly after NISA was announced, uh, the NASL lost its sanctioning um, and then stopped playing. You know, after the end of the 2017 season, so NISA NISA's mission kind of ended up morphing um, over the last couple of years into now. If you look at NISA, you know, you've got you know the Cosmos have just applied and been accepted by the league, though still pending U.S. soccer sanctioning there. Um, you've got Miami FC in there. Uh, so, uh, so you know, it's it's clearly got some NASL look to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but yeah, but the birth of, of NISA since let's say um, you know it's interesting the way things have gone this year, right? Sort of in the beginning part of, of this year when we were, we were you know the Founders Cup was kind of the hot idea, and NISA was sort of you know secondary, I think in in the level of excitement that was around, you know, in the soccer Twitter world, right? Um, the Founders Cup was really an exciting idea, mm-hmm. but it ultimately ended up being that the Founders Cup, as it was conceived, was not really possible within the current setup of U.S. soccer uh, because the Founders Cup wanted to exist in kind of a, a space between being um, sanctioned by USSF directly as a professional league Right. They didn't want to go for pro sanctioning, um, but they want, and they wanted to operate under the uh, USASA, the adult amateur um, arm. Uh, but it turned out that they couldn't get insurance uh, to uh, you know to for professional and amateur players yeah. to mix. Now that happens in the Open Cup. That's some type of exception. I don't really fully understand why that is the case, but it ended up being the case. It sank the Founders Cup. And then Founders Cup teams started to sort of defect over to NISA. Now, if you look at um, NISA, you, you know, it's mostly Founders Cup teams. So they sort of merged uh, um, <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way. Yeah, and so there's uh, how many teams were scheduled to or, or slated to be uh, be in the Founders Cup? It was a fairly significant amount. Yeah. Um, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but uh, it, off the top of my head, I want to say it was like eleven eleven teams at one point. Yeah, that sounds about right. And as you said, it kind of collapsed uh, on itself, just uh, you know, mainly based on sanction some quasi sanctioning issues, uh, as you said, related to insurance and. Um, and other things. 
And so, uh, as you said, it wasn't able to really ever get off the ground. Um, but NISA has been able to, at least uh, in part. Uh, you know, they initially applied for full, well, provisional sanctioning um, at the 2019 um, uh, general meetings um, in Scottsdale, which I happened to be at. And um, I, I probably talked to you a little bit at the time about that, if I recall, um, about them trying to get sanctioning because I was talking to some sources within NISA and they were definitely trying to figure out if the Federation was going to sanction them, um, which they ultimately did. Um, I'm curious, what were you hearing around that time? This was obviously February of, of 2019 uh, about the sanctioning uh, process. Uh, from my end, you know, it sounded like U.S. soccer was always going to sanction them for probably reasons, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, uh, some related probably to the lawsuit. Uh, but uh, just curious what, uh, what you were hearing about the sanctioning uh, that they were trying to get and uh, the, the process they were going through. Yeah, I mean, outside of NISA, there was a tremendous amount of doubt that they would be sanctioned. Um, you know, most most observers, some of whom are now members of NISA, um, were uh, were pretty skeptical that NISA would get sanctioned. Uh, it always had the lawsuit aspect going for it, which is, you know, anything they decided regarding NISA was going to probably uh, be be a factor in the the antitrust suit if they rejected it. You know, one could have made the argument that, hey, they're really trying to fix this thing, you know, in a certain way with yeah. only certain business entities. So NISA had that 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 going for it. Um, you know, so yeah, ultimately, uh, ultimately, they decided to give it provisional sanctioning. Um, and I, I believe, I don't know, you might remember this. I believe USL League One is also provisional this year. Um, yeah, I believe that's the case. Yeah. But USL Championship is full sanctioning. Yeah, year. that's right. Yeah, I talked with yeah. Nafun Chopra, uh, who also covers lower league soccer, and yeah, they have uh, full sanctioning um, at this time. Uh, they still have another issues they have to get through, but that's a that's a that's a podcast for another day. So, yeah. uh, so Nisa gets sanctioning, and so this is a good uh, point to move into. You know, uh, the number of teams they have and the schedule that they wanted to pursue. Uh, you know, back you know some time ago, they it was it was pretty clear they wanted to do a fall spring schedule, essentially aligning with the calendar that most of the rest of the uh, world follows. Um, that hasn't happened totally, um, in part because they have some issues with some of the teams getting up and running. And so, I wanted to uh, kind of get your thoughts on uh, you know them getting off the ground, the schedule, and the number of teams that they that they have. Uh, coming into the league because it, it seems like it's changing by the day at this point. Yeah, it's, there's been some fluidity for sure in, in the team lineup. Um, so, so yes, they. So this year, what they're doing, 2019-20, right? If we're going to look at it, sort of the way you would look at, you know, the uh, the fall to spring calendar. Um, they're playing a fall showcase, and they had uh, two conferences a. Eastern Conference and a Western Conference. Uh, Miami FC won the East. California United won the West. And then they're going to play a Spring Showcase. Uh, and then at the end of the Spring Showcase, if you if you look at the schedule page on their website, there's going to be some type of playoff. Uh, you know, at the end that the fall winners get a buy into. Um, so uh, so in a way. You can interpret that as they're playing a fall to spring calendar with a winter break. 
Um, the, this year, they're calling it showcases because I think uh, it's not like technically the official first season, which which yeah. would theoretically be twenty twenty dash twenty one. And so we've got the falls, uh, the spring showcase, and the fall showcase, and so that essentially I think leads into fall uh, twenty twenty at this point. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, you know, we've got. A number of teams that are slated to potentially be announced here pretty soon. Um, I think you were reported, and I have had the same sourcing that Anissa met uh, over the last you know week or so uh, regarding the Cosmos and uh, some other teams which have uh, yet to be named uh, to come into the league. Uh, and so, uh, what I guess at this point, let's talk a little bit about some of those teams. You know, uh, Philly, the Philadelphia Fury is. Is kind of the, the the problem at this point, I guess, for lack of a better uh, description. Uh, I've talked with uh, Napoon about that, and he is pretty skeptical that they'll ever play uh, based on some of the ownership issues. But I wanted to get your take on uh, the issues that the Fury have been uh, been dealing with, trying to get uh, their you know their team off the ground. Yeah, so um, I, I agree with Napoon. Uh, I think uh, any time in lower league soccer. In the United States, when a team uh, kind of goes into a hiatus mode, um, you know they're they're unlikely to come back. Yeah, right. It, it's it's most of the time teams don't recover from that. Um, so I think you know it, it's going to be a challenge. I know the Philadelphia Fury are working on trying to come back for the fall. Uh, they're not going to be back for the spring. I think we can be confident of that. We're trying to work on coming back for the fall, but that requires, you know, securing new investor backing and a new facility. Uh, I think the idea of a Philadelphia-based team that plays in the city at, like, maybe a small college stadium or something like that that's located near, um, you know, a septal line, I think would be great, right? I think that would yeah. be a cool thing. Uh, but, you know, it remains to be seen if the Fury can really... Uh, be the ones who make that happen. Yeah, and in Philly specifically, it seems like there is it is ripe for potential. Uh, there's, it's ripe for potential, uh, you know, working to get share of what the union don't have right now because the union playing so far out uh, in in uh, and I'm forgetting the name of the uh, town they play in Chester. Uh, Chester yeah. Thank you. I was going to say Carson, which is uh, you know about three thousand miles uh, to the west. Uh, and so there's there seems to be a lot of opportunity there, but there are some obviously headwinds trying to get a team playing in the city, as you say, you know, a, col- a local college maybe, uh, you know, a, a potential place where they could play, but there are you know facility issues potentially down the line, um, and so it's unfortunate that it doesn't look like they're going to be back at this point, but. It, it certainly is an opportunity there. So, uh, you know, moving on from Philly, it's probably a good point to move to the Cosmos, uh, the team that you have followed. Uh, I wanted to chat a little bit about what they've been doing since uh, since the lawsuit uh, was filed. And, and it, they've been, I kind of described it out in the wilderness a little bit, uh, trying to find a place, uh, a league to play in 
while battling U.S. soccer, uh, Rocco Camiso, obviously the owner of the Cosmos, um, and who uh, has essentially, I think it's fair to say, uh, bankrolled the lawsuit uh, of NASL, uh, appears to now want to come back in and find a place to play. But what, what have you uh, what have you seen from them in the in the two and a half years uh, or two plus years that they've been um, out from quote unquote professional soccer? Yeah, I think the the wilderness time. I think I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, you know, has really been New York Cosmos B, right? Yeah, uh, which is which is the reserve team uh, playing in NPSL. Uh, so. Uh, you know, obviously, there's there's positives and negatives to that. Um, the positives are that there's a level of continuity. Uh, the hardest of the hardcore fan base, you know, can still go to the games and and sort of you know, and, and I think a lot of people who are very very big Cosmos fans have actually gotten to know each other more. Um, that's that's sort of the silver lining uh, to this whole thing is that uh, is that you know you got to know a lot more people who have a shared passion. Yeah. Uh, you know, but um, but you know it's it's definitely you know it pales in comparison to the you know 2017 season, which you know although the era that was like the Seamus O'Brien sell a sport era from. 2013 to 2016 was the the championship era, right? I mean, the Cosmos yeah. won 2013, 2015, 2016. Um, great teams, you know, you know, competitive probably would have been competitive in MLS quality teams, right? You had Raul, you know, you had Marcos Senna, Juan Arango, you know, Nico Cranchar for a little bit, uh, but uh, but really the other guys, um, just great, really good teams. Uh, really fun to watch. Uh, 2017, uh, you know, was actually a more sort of professionalized fan experience than those 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 championship years because you were in MCU Park, which was actually a professional sports venue, yeah. as opposed to being at a college on Long Island. It was at a you know in a pro venue right off the subway line in on Coney Island. Just a great great atmosphere right so from an atmosphere perspective mcu in 2017 were probably the best year um you know the 2013 was great too because that was like pretty big crowds the whole year right because it was it was new or at least the half season that they played um so uh so yeah i mean the last two years has really been a ghost of that uh but you know the the focus has been the lawsuit yeah. Right. And uh, and I think just keeping something alive has been has been positively received by the the hardcore fans. Uh, but I think there's a a shared understanding that going forward, especially with Queensboro FC on the horizon, uh, which you know will definitely battle for the casual hearts and minds, um, it's not going to be good enough anymore. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it sounds like it's time to, to get moving, which obviously leads us into what has happened over the last uh, you know couple of weeks and their decision to apply uh, for NISA and NISA agreeing to uh, you know uh, accept them at this point. Uh, I was hearing, and I'm sure you were too, about some of the uh, concerns that NISA was having about dealing with the Cosmos related to uh, the lawsuit, and uh, there was some there was some kind of 
secondhand reporting about potential uh, reprisal from U.S. soccer. Um, I'm not sure how much of that was was accurate. I mean, I think it's, you know, it may be a fair, you know, kind of general concern, but there was nothing ever concrete that said that there was going to be an issue there. But um, what what do you think led to uh, the Cosmos deciding to to make a go of it in NISA? And what did you uh, think about NISA agreeing to accept them? Uh, was that a surprise to you? Or uh, did you think that it was just too good of a marriage to for the NISA to pass up? So there was a lot, of, yeah, there was a lot that went into that. So let me, let me, let me kind of uh, take you through that a little bit. Um, so, um, you know, the, the, with, with the decision that was made uh, that um, there's basically, there, there is no such thing as semi-pro soccer in the United States, it, right? The yeah. decision that, that, you, that took the Founders Cup out was basically a decision that said it's either professional or it's amateur. There's nothing in between, right? Um, and with that being the case, the way the Cosmos and Miami FC have existed over the past couple of years in MPSL was really sort of as a professional team that that was in a amateur league, right? Yeah. Um, so semi-pro, kind of, right? Uh, that is no longer going to be allowed, right? That was basically tested out, pushed to its limit, and decided that it's not okay. So the choice for the Cosmos was hiatus or move into a pro league, right? Mm-hmm. Cosmos are currently, um, you know, co- the, the NESL is currently suing the Federation, as, as we well know. The Cosmos are, are, you know, ownership in particular, Rocco, is, is strongly linked to that effort. Um, so not clear that USL is a real option for the Cosmos while that's going on, right? Um, USL you know, operates sort of in the good graces of, of, uh, of U.S. soccer, right? So uh, I'm not sure that USL would have, would have taken the Cosmos on sure. uh, during, during this time. Um, so that really left NISA as the only option for the Cosmos. Um, and, you know, I mean, from what I understand, uh, from my conversations with, with a bunch of people who were involved with NISAs, some owners were very concerned that bringing the Cosmos in the league would lead to some type of, would make it harder for the league to maintain its sanctioning, right? It would be a, sort of a strike against NISA. That was a real concern within NISA. Um, ultimately, what I understand, you know, the Cosmos had four teams that were very strong advocates for the Cosmos during all former Founders Cups teams. So you're talking about um, Miami FC, uh, Chattanooga FC, Detroit City, and the Oakland Roots, uh, all strongly advocated to the other uh, teams in NISA that the Cosmos would be an asset. Um, and, you know, clearly, you know, inside the U.S., um, you know, the Cosmos name over the last couple of years, uh, has has I think you know been not as strong as it has been. <laughs> yeah, I think that's past, fair to say, right? Just because of what's been going on uh, and playing in MPSL versus playing in a pro league, uh, and clearly not not compare nothing comparing to the heyday. But internationally, you know, the Cosmos are still you know one of the best known U.S. soccer uh, clubs, you know, globally, right? Uh, so. If you're talking about potential investor interest from overseas, 
uh, any type of revenue opportunities. The Cosmos are just going to bring a different profile to NISA than any of the other clubs uh, internationally, right? So, um, so yeah. So ultimately, the decision was let's let the Cosmos in. Um, and now I can't imagine that U.S. Soccer is going to deny that application, but you never know, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if it's in order, if it's if it's if it's you know, if there's not like an Ottawa Fury situation where they like you know <laughs> allegedly didn't fill the paperwork out correctly, barring something like that, uh, assuming all the the you know I's are dotted and T's are crossed in the paperwork, it would really probably reflect quite poorly on U.S. Soccer in the context of the antitrust suit if they denied a good application from the Cosmos uh, to join NISA. Yeah, and that's the feeling I got uh, talking with some sources uh, over at U.S. Soccer is that they have, they, they're bait, I wouldn't say rubber stamping it, but again, if there are no issues, I, I do not see any way they do not uh, approve that application. Um, and so I think the Cosmos are likely to join NISA here shortly, uh, officially. Um, the other issue I wanted to talk a little bit about was uh, the other teams. I'm not sure how much you know or can report on. But it sounds like there are several other teams that, uh, as I think I, we mentioned earlier, uh, that were discussed at the uh, board, NISA Board of Governors meetings uh, that happened in the last week. Uh, do you, how many teams would you expect to be ready to go in fall of 2020 uh, in NISA? So there were three other applicants uh, that, uh, that submitted uh, you know, and were considered uh, for NISA membership. So there was another team in New York. There was a New Jersey team, um, and then a uh, a Miami Beach team. Uh, as far as uh, as far as I'm told, uh, from some pretty strong sources within NISA, um, I am I am not aware of any of them being accepted into the league. Okay. Um, as of probably a week ago or so, when we found out about the Cosmos, the Cosmos were the only ones accepted at that time. Of those applicants, that could have changed since then. I have not heard that it has, uh, but it's it's certainly possible. Um, you know, but at this point, I think as we look to the spring showcase, you know, I I, I think we'll be around. Uh, it's still a little bit in flux, right? But yeah. my guess would be probably around eight teams again. It might be a different eight teams, especially in the East, um, where there could be could be some change. I don't think we're going to see Atlanta back. It's not impossible, uh, but my understanding was Atlanta needed new owners. Um, so, you know, I don't think the league would would continue to support Atlanta uh, if it didn't need to, right? Yeah. Um, so, sure. you know, if you've got Detroit and Chattanooga coming in, um, you don't really need to support Atlanta anymore, right? Um, so you've got, you know, Detroit, Chattanooga, Miami would be all pretty solid, I think, for, for the Eastern Spring Showcase, um, you know, Stumptown, um, you know, as well. I would expect to be in it, um, though I have not confirmed that they're returning. Um, you know, you've got Michigan Stars who, you know, have, have been announced uh, for for that. You, you know, I respect that possibly they would be in it in the spring. Um, you know, they could ask the Cosmos to play earlier uh they're they're accepted for the fall but oakland roots was originally accepted for spring 2020 and they played in fall 2019 so um 
with showcase. I don't know if the showcase status gives it kind of more fluidity than a, a, a full season. Um, and then you've got the Western teams, uh, who I expect will be back. Though um, I think of the of the four Western teams, uh, you know, 1904 is probably the one that you know I would say is is probably has more question marks around it than than the other three. I think you know you're pretty solid with Cal United, LA Force, and uh, Oakland Roots, but. 1904, I think, is a little bit more more of a question mark for me. So I expect at the end of the day you're going to see something like eight teams, maybe nine, uh, in the spring showcase. Uh, and then for the fall, it's probably going to depend on, you know, do the does the Connecticut team materialize? Uh, Providence, uh, does that materialize? Both of those were expected to join in the spring. I don't think it's likely that they will. You know, does Philly come back? Do they accept these three applications? So, my guess is you're probably still looking somewhere around maybe ten teams or so in the fall, but that's pretty far away. It's, in NISA terms, yeah. that's, that's a long time from now. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. Uh, just quickly before uh, we uh, wrap up, uh, what did you hear about those three teams that weren't accepted? Uh, was it ownership issues, uh, stadium locations, uh, anything uh, specific or general? that uh, led them not to accept those applications, at least as of right now? Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think the best way to phrase that is, I have not heard they were accepted. That doesn't mean they were rejected, gotcha. right? I just, I am not aware that they were accepted. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't want to comment on it just because I don't, I only have one source on that. And, gotcha. You know, it's not enough. So um, as far as I, I know, the only one that has been accepted is the Cosmos. Gotcha. Okay. So last question, um, just kind of an overview of, of NISA and what you what you uh, expect or hope to see um, over, say, the next uh, year to 18 months. If we've got eight to ten teams gonna that are, should be playing in the fall, uh, what do you think is a realistic uh, kind of projection for them um, in the next couple of years as far as getting – up to a you know say twelve to fourteen to sixteen teams. Yeah, I, I think that NISA needs to uh, to work on getting getting more strong, solid you know ownership groups uh, that are know what they're getting into. Right, the lower league U.S. pro soccer world is a challenging business to be in. Uh, you know, you don't you you don't have some of the traditional revenue opportunities that lower league teams might have in countries that have promotion and relegation. Um, you know, that, that, that potential of the dream of going up, uh, isn't there. Right. Yeah. Uh, at least not, not in a, uh, you know, sporting merit way. Uh, you know, you can theoretically buy your way up, but you don't have those revenue streams. Right. Uh, you know, so, so you're really talking about, you know, something that the owners need to understand what they're getting into. Right, and that goes. That's true for USL as well. By the way, yeah, right? something absolutely. like Lansing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, it's hard to believe that an ownership group is going to quit in one year if they really understood what they were getting into, right? Um, so I think that's you know, no, I personally I think that that uh, that's what they need to focus on is getting more uh, ownership groups that understand what they're getting into, uh, that have the wherewithal to invest, uh, you know, several years, 
uh, of losses, you know, um, you know, operating losses, uh, in order to to build the club up, um, you know, and have people who kind of know what they're doing uh, running those clubs. So they've got work to do, I think, in building their expansion pipeline in terms of quality ownership groups uh, that meet the standards and that that really have that wherewithal. Uh, USL does a very good job of recruiting uh, potential owners. Uh, so I think that's something that that NISA uh, you know needs to do a good job of as well. USL clearly did a better job of that than the NASL, so NISA needs to get get that up to USL's level. Yeah, and I think that that's the bottom line when you're talking about lower division soccer in the United States um, um, or NWSL for that matter. They they've gone through some of the uh, same issues about getting owners to understand that it's not a money-making proposition, especially at the start. It's not a money-making proposition in MLS at this point. Um, and so uh, owners who are coming in thinking that there's going to be some type of windfall, uh, you know, similar to uh, the NFL or NBA, uh, they're just in for a rude awakening. So, uh, And it's harder to prove, like, the franchise valuation. You know, because so, so, like, you know, in the, in, you know, Major League Baseball or the NFL, NBA... MLS to a certain extent, um, you know, you if you invest your your money into the you know, into the team, you know, you you maybe lose money, you know, over the course of however long you own the team. But in theory, the increase in value of the franchise when you sell it will be the financial windfall. Yeah. that doesn't that's that's very difficult to prove in lower league U.S. pro soccer. Right? There's not a whole lot of cases where you can say that that happened, right? I think the one that is sort of there is the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. But really, what do we know about that, right? Yeah. It's just sort of like a rumor, right? Um, so you look at maybe Orange County uh, SC, that's another one we know. I think it was reported that that club sold for about $5 million, right? Which was at the time the the expansion fee of USL, so there had been some type of increase. That I think that was the. There's not a whole lot of solid stories out there about what a team sold for and how that represented an increase in value for the owner um, who sold it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to end it. Um, Chris, I want to thank you for uh, joining me. And before I let you go, I got to let you plug uh, your website one more time and where can people find you online? Sure. So uh, the website is midfieldpress.com. And then, uh, you know, I'm I'm regularly uh, retweeting and tweeting stuff on on Twitter. (laughs) Um, And my handle is my last name, which is K-I-V-L-E. H-A-N. All right. Excellent. Thanks. Uh, one again, thank Chris. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking in the future as Nisa continues to get off the ground. And then uh, with uh, all the lawsuits happening, uh, there's uh, no shortage of stuff to cover. So uh, thanks for joining me.